This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are figuring out how to be a great investor. I mean, it's like gets right down to it is how to be a great investor, not not a not a speculator, not an ignorant uh, person who just pours money into a four hundred one k and mm. hopes for the best down the road, but somebody actually knows how to buy things that are really high quality companies when they're on sale. That's what we're after. Yeah, I yeah. like that succinct succinct analysis. And this is our two hundred and first podcast, and we started the two hundred podcast with Ray Dalio's view of the five things that you must do. And if you do them, you will inevitably become successful. Yes. And we made it through two of them. We did. But let me run through the five again. Yeah, I was just going to say, for anybody who missed that episode, I would recommend going back and listening. But yeah, let's run through all five. Okay. Number one, set goals. Number two, notice your mistakes. No, 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 no. Number three. Set audacious goals, you said. Right. Okay. Set audacious goals. Yeah. Right. Big audacious goals. Number Big two. audacious goals. You're going to encounter failures, identify those, and do not tolerate them. Oh, interesting. Different wording than you said mm. last time, mm. which was notice mm. your mistakes. Right. So, are you notice the mistakes is number two. Are you paraphrasing what he's saying? No, I'm quoting. So notice your mistakes and it says, as you go to those, you are ah. going to encounter your failures, your mistakes. You have to identify those and not tolerate them. Got it. Got it. Got okay. It. So this is, this, as you go to those, it means as you go toward your goals or to what you're, you're going to do. Number three, understand why you're making those mistakes. Mm. And he said in this one, you have to get to the diagnosis to the root cause of the mistakes, which could be that you have a weakness, Right. Mm-hmm. Some weakness there. Mm-hmm. Right? Understand why you're making the mistakes. Number four, fix your mistakes. And he says you have to design what you're going to do to get around the weakness. Hmm. So fix your mistakes. And number five, persevere. You have to push through to the results. In other words, this isn't just a goal. This is like you're going to do this and you're going to stick with it. And he says if you keep doing that over and over again, you will inevitably succeed. You do it over and over again because you have determination and that perseverance means that you're persevering through the process of setting audacious goals. As you go toward that goal, you're going to notice that you're making some mistakes. Now figure out why, and you'll discover that there's some weakness that you've got. Now then, design the next time around to cover the weakness. Get around the weakness and then do it again. And Ray's view is you do that over and over again. That's what he's done over and over and over again through his life to become one of the most successful people. I think Dolly is a very successful person, actually. You mean like a whole person? 
Yeah, I do think so. What makes you say that? I don't that? know him. I would like to know him, but I don't know that there's anything that we would, you know, may, maybe we'll have a podcast together or something. We can do a podcast. But, uh, you know, he's had a very successful marriage. I think his kids got their heads screwed on straight. He mm. is a very broad thinker. Um, I mean, he covers a huge range of very, very rational all the way to very, you know, sort of deeply non-religiously spiritual, I would say, Dalio is. And um, and I, I think he's, you know, he's a phenomenally successful money manager. So why wouldn't we listen to him? And I guess the point, honey, and the reason I'm talking to you about Dalio is because one of the things that I've done right in my life is to, to copy people who are really, really successful. You know, I wish mm -hmm. I had done it more, more often, but I've done it often enough to become, you know, decently successful myself. So that, that I think is, is pretty important. And I think that, that I do that obviously in the med in, in uh, terms of meditation, I've copied somebody who I think is, has done a really good job of that. And I've seen other people who are meditating and they they seem to be having better lives, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But, you you know, don't don't get stuck on just the meditation thing. It could be contemplative prayer. It could be whatever will make your life better. Right. Just the idea is to find something that you can see is doing better. In the case of meditation, by the way, it was your uncle that I copied. Did you know mm -hmm. that? Yeah. OK, good. I wasn't sure you'd heard that from us. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go back into that. All right. So in this case, we're looking at Dalio and we're saying, all right, this is a person who's not only been a phenomenally successful investor, but it has a, an amazingly successful life. And these are the five things that he said really made it happen for him. So set goals, notice your mistakes. We've talked about those. Understand why you're making those mistakes. Now, that is a that's a really interesting one, I think. Yeah. I mean, like, I think everything you're saying is really correct about um, copying people that you see who are doing well, who are doing what you want to be doing. Um, but this is, I mean, there's a reason that people don't do that all the time. This is hard. This third one, understand why you're making those mistakes. That to me is like, and it, I, it's like kind of the third, you know, it's like the crux as you go over the, over the hump into the solutions, um, that's really hard to know why you're making mistakes. Yeah. And last time we were this talking we about were... that, about, yeah. I was saying that with regard to riding a horse or something, you know. It, I mean, we I, kind of went from the second into the third without even knowing what the third, I didn't know what the right. third was, but it was, it was, it was like, figure this out. Like, how do you even know when you're being a bonehead? A lot of the time we think we're being super smart <laughs> when actually we're not. And we, a, a lot of the time, I mean, I, I personally, a lot of the time have it. I, I, it's pretty hard for me to actually look at myself and figure out that I'm the problem. That's, I tend well, to think it's something outside of, of me that's the problem. Yes. So my example last time was that the horse had the problem Yeah, and he was just not being a good horse, right? And which I mean, to be fair, could have totally could been true. Could have been true. For sure. And I'm sure has been true many times. And you just don't remember those times because it was the horse's fault. Right. The, I was doing it right, but the horse wasn't, had been untrained or was not properly trained or whatever. And yeah. it's quite frustrating if you're a, a novice and you're doing something right and you're not getting the results you want, you know? 
Yeah. So you tend to think, oh, you know, it's me. And then, oh, you, yeah, well, it's not you. It's something else. But I tend to have the opposite issue, which is that I, I'm looking for something else outside me as the reason why this thing didn't work. Right. So mm. just in, in terms of like investing, when we when we go out and and have a goal or let's say in my terminology, a promise to ourselves, I'm going to become financially independent. When I was in 1980, when I started this thing, 1980, 81, um, I made a promise to myself that I'd make a million dollars in five years which is a big audacious goal when you're starting with about a thousand dollars. But I could, I saw the path. I knew the path from my teacher and, and he got the path from Buffett and Buffett got the path from Graham. And there's this long path. A bunch of people who do this kind of investing have been successful for many generations. So it's kind of like a family thing, right? So I kind of knew how this family said to go about this. And I knew that if I did go about this, I would be, I would become wealthy. So, it wasn't that I didn't know where I was going. It, it was that, you know, I honestly didn't really expect the mistakes that happened along the way. I kind of like, ah, I got this. This is great. I'm just going to go do this. <laughs> you didn't expect the mistakes. See, this is where I do not relate to that. Uh, well, I hub do hubris is not maybe that. a problem you've got. I think, I think it's, I know I, I certainly often think I'm better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I would venture to say that that's probably a common theme amongst people who go into money, the financial world. There's a lot of confidence to take risks, to take bets. And the style of investing you chose was, was not to take much more risk averse, not to make bets, to choose things that were, um, were much more certain, which I think was obviously a really good choice on your part, but you still, you had that part that was like, I'm not going to make any mistakes. And I think all the rest of us, the non-financial people have the opposite experience, which is I assume I'm going to make all the mistakes and I don't really want to. So I'm just not going to do it. Well, if, if I had to choose kind of which way to go, you know, if I could get myself to invest and still be that sort of humble, I'd probably be better. It's, it's, I'm, I was thinking of this, one of my early mistakes was <clears throat> I, I, uh, I bought a, um, a small almond ranch up in the San Joaquin Valley. And, mm. um, and it, it, it was a relatively young ranch. I mean, in other words, the trees were relatively young, which meant they had a lot of production left in them. And I got a really, what I thought was a super margin, you know, margin of safety price. I bought it from Getty Oil Company, um, really for the price of the dirt, so that they could retain the oil rights underneath it. And mm -hmm. I got the business, right? I got the business. Mm -hmm. And it, it never occurred to me that the mistake that happened which nearly wiped it out. And that was the farm manager that I hired, which I totally trusted, hired somebody they totally trusted to shake the trees and shake the almonds off the trees onto these big, big tarps. And the tree shaker okay. is a machine that grabs the tree on both sides with a claw and it shakes the tree. It's a big tree. The tree's like, uh, you know, over a foot thick. And so the 
grabs this thing and shakes the tree and it vibrates the And that's how the almonds come off the tree. And they come off the tree and land on a on a tarp. <laughs> that's the, that's, that's how they do it. That's how they did it 40 years ago or 30 years ago. <laughs> I don't know, man. They do it different now. Now they're grown in a lab. Now they're in the lab. <laughs> but the person that did the shaking or the person they hired, my farm manager, who I hired, hired a company to shake the trees and they hired a guy to shake, to take the tree shaker. So it's like three levels, right? And yep. the person that did the tree shaker failed to notice that the bladders were no good. They were inoperative. What are the bladders? Well, the bladders are big, puffy airbags on both claws. So imagine you're going to grip a tree with a pair of pliers, but the pliers have. Oh, so the claws bag. you don't you don't want the claws to actually touch the right. tree. They're protected by these airbags, right. essentially. Okay. okay. So he, he didn't have the airbags set right, and as a result, the pliers got a grip on the tree that was improper, and when he shook the tree unseated the bark all the way around the tree. Oh, no. Without tearing the bark off the tree, just leaving the tree looking like it was, like you'd have to, if you inspected it closely, you'd see it. But he killed every tree in that orchard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Every single tree died. Okay, so this is a great example. Perfect example. Because number one, here's what I just heard. This was not your fault. No. You're the owner. Yeah. Now, I mean, somebody could argue it is, right? But like, so in the, in the quest of how does one not make that mistake again in the future? How does one, what does he say? Fix it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you fix the mistake? Notice the mistake. Understand the mistake. Notice it, understand why, yeah. and fix it. So... Right. You noticed it. Right. It was, geez, three levels down, somebody really screwed up. Right. But that's not your fault. And how do you how do you deal with that? How do you fix that? So let's walk through the thing. So the goal is here yeah. to um, buy this almond orchard, which I you know, I'd never managed an almond orchard, right? So buy it, hire great well, management. And um, and later on as as the economy recovered, blah, 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 whatever, I could sell it for what it was worth and make a, mm -hmm. a profit on this. So, all right. Now, the mistake was, I mean, it wasn't hard to notice the mistake. The orchard died. I So no problem right. noticing. And I think you'll find that mistakes are not hard to notice. <laughs> like, this did not go well, okay? And now understand why I made that mistake and then fix it, okay? So... Yeah, but I I disagree that that's the mistake. Yes, that is the well. Certainly, there was actual, a mistake, right? Yeah, yeah, but it could have been anything, right? It could have been like somebody didn't water the trees, or, or you know, like I don't know. Right, there was a horde of locusts right. that showed up. Locusts, like, something like that. Tree watering, in other words, acts of God, acts of stupidity, or acts of stupidity acts yeah. of negligence or just plain old mistakes yeah right? exactly negligence okay so understand why i made that mistake well because there was a certain amount of hubris there there was a certain amount of over uneducated optimism and a lack of awareness of the potential risks that i was facing as an investor 
I didn't yeah, understand that's what I heard, the downside. Is you didn't understand the business. I never inverted it. I never asked the questions of how can this go wrong? Well, mm -hmm. somebody can kill your orchard. Huh? What? Right? God can send a storm, locusts. There could be, I mean, right? I, I, the, the farm manager could turn out to be incompetent in spite of a 20-year track record. Mm -hmm. I, you, I didn't do the precisely, inversion. Precisely. I you didn't, didn't understand the business. I didn't understand the business. Yeah. I did not understand the business. And so this became part of my theme song. Just to understand the business, right? And you would think. But did you realize that straight away? Or is this upon 30 years of reflection? Oh, I. Or five years of reflection or one year. Like, what was the well, first you go thought through, process First you go here. through denial, right? Of course. Which is, this isn't my fault. Right. I'm blaming everyone else. Definitely. And then you start to, <laughs> <laughs> then you start to realize, well. Blaming everyone else isn't fixing this. And are you going to learn something from this or not? Yeah, because the next thought is like, well, I don't want that to happen on the next orchard. Exactly. Like, should I, like, should I go buy another one? Well, what did I do here that that could prevent that that I don't want to do again so that I prevent that happening? Exactly. Now, one one thing that occurred to me was don't don't invest in anything that's alive. <laughs> <laughs> That might not All be a right. bad there we takeaway, go. I actually. Got that, one, that one handled. Um, <laughs> but it's it's like... Says the guy who <laughs> owns many horses. Exactly. Which are not investments, by the way. I'm not even pretending they're yeah, investments. Yeah, they're definitely not. So, um, <laughs> now, in this particular case, I understanding why I made the mistake was because the fundamental understanding is the weakness that I had was I was unwilling to take the time to invert that. I didn't understand I had to invert the argument mm. for why I should buy that company. I just didn't mm. understand that I had to do that. That was a big weakness. And then the second thing is, as soon as I started to invert it, as soon as I went to that place where it was like, oh, yeah, obviously, if you think about what can go wrong with an almond orchard, you would think the trees could die. That would be totally the top of the list, right? They can die from lots of things, but ultimately, yeah. the trees could die. And yeah. so... That should have been right at the top of my list, should have been the most obvious thing. And the obvious way to fix that is you get insurance against it because it doesn't happen very often. So insurance isn't very expensive. Hmm. And you're good. You're good to go. Uh, number two thing you can do is buy, a, you know, be sure you have a farm manager that is big enough and reputable enough that if they have a mistake based on negligence, that they are, are, are financially capable of, of handling the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. This farm manager was unsuable. I mean, he'd mm. just go bankrupt in of story. So and of course, the person, the company shaking the trees didn't have anything except some shakers. It's a, so again, just learning the lessons that the major lesson was invert, always invert, always invert, always invert. And of course, at that point in time, I didn't have that lesson from Charlie. I, I never read that from Charlie until years later, but I had learned from that mistake that I better look at the downside of everything very carefully. Mm. All right. So that mm. was the fix. And then number five is to persevere. Yeah. Then, then, then you got to get yourself up off the floor having, you know, sustained a really painful loss and start again, find, find yeah. another one. Right. Yeah. But you start saving money again. Start. 
uh, whatever you're going to do, get, get new investors or, or whatever, move on, explain, explain the thing to the old investors so that they understand you've learned your lesson, whatever it is, you've got to persevere. You have to push through until you get the results you want. Mm-hmm. And that I did mm-hmm. do. And five years later, I got the results I wanted. I was worth 1.4 million or something. And, um, <laughs> that's when I, that's when I hauled you guys off to Fairfield. Right there. <laughs> that was funny. So that's this. I think Ray's very right about this. I think these are <clears throat> incredibly important. I don't think I've ever heard anybody quite put it like this. That you you have to look at first off noticing mistakes is really easy on your way to becoming a successful investor. You will notice your mistakes. Now the trick is understanding yeah. what happened. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I agree that the way he's laid this out is actually extremely smart because we, because I didn't know what number three was. You were just telling me them one by one. And we immediately took number two, notice your mistakes as meaning notice and know how to fix them when he separated them consciously into two steps, which is right. They are two steps. Yeah. That's really interesting. And that's, that's the hard part. Um, you guys, is is that when you do have a mistake, it's difficult to, <clears throat> first off, take responsibility for it, and second, to figure out why it happened on, on the deeper level, right? What's the root cause? And I, I want to repeat what Ray said, is you have to get the diagnosis to the root cause. So you just, you, you can't just go down the steps and stop at a, at a, an early stage. You have to keep digging. Like, yeah, I understand what happened. The The guy shook the trees wrong. So I could come to the conclusion that the right answer would be to always check the shakers every time. Yep. Great point. Multiple levels of solution here. And, and the question is, how deep do you need to go? Right. So, right. It's like, well, next time, check those airbags. <laughs> no. That's not, yes, that's true, but that's not the real solution here. And obviously, if you were going to limit yourself so severely by having the conclusion to this thing be that you have to go check the airbags. Imagine if you own multiple investments, all of the deep into the, you know, weeds stuff you would have to be doing, you simply wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. But I think that's really where... Like, you know, you taught me those levels of mastery and it's the unconscious incompetence when you're sort of bleeding into conscious competence, but, but on, how do I put this? So it's, it's levels, you know, it's like some, some lower levels I'm consciously competent at higher levels. I'm consciously incompetent at higher levels than that. I am still unconsciously incompetent at. I can't even imagine what those are like or what they would be. Right. And, and there's where it gets a little scary if you think about it. Yeah. Because, yeah. come on, how many things can go wrong on companies that you buy? I mean, there's sort of a, right. almost an infinite list of things that can go wrong. Right. And so you would conclude, wow, after all this time, 201 podcast episodes later, we finally get to the truth. And that is that we really should buy the index and diversify. <laughs> Except that I am more and more disagreeing with that advice. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so maybe that's me being dangerously <laughs> too, what is it? No too much, to just no, just enough to be dangerous. Just enough. 
to be dangerous. And then you get to this place where you go, my God, why am I not just doing the index? And in all fairness, Warren Buffett urges you to just go do the index. And in fact, Ben Graham in in, in the 1970s when he was a yeah, but I genuinely I have I'm starting to think something different. Should I just tell you what I think about that? Sure. I mean, I think it's smart, but it's and maybe it's because I live outside of the U.S. now, but it's so U.S. centric. And I mean, over the course of the U.S. market, it's always gone up eventually. So that's the history. That's what everybody in the U.S. expects. And that's why Buffett gives that advice to people, because he thinks it will go up eventually. Right. But that is such a U.S.-centric point of view without saying that it is. And it's not the... I don't have a problem with the point of view, but I do have a problem with not explaining the context because there are countries in which simply buying the index of your country does not mean that you are eventually going to have your investment go up oh, that because is that so country true. never came back. That is Their so market true. never came. Look at Argentina. I mean, we always use the classic examples. Well, look at like, Japan. I was just going to say Japan is a much more, um, uh, you know, totally like first world country, very sophisticated and, um, and has not come back. Right. Their market has not come and, back. And so and, and like it's, it's sort of, of like people. we always think, I think Americans always think, oh, that's because other countries just aren't as developed or whatever. Um, they don't have the same kind of like corporate ecosystem. But Japan's a great example. Unfortunately, it's a bad example of a highly developed country where the stock market um, has not rewarded those who put money into the index. So... I now think like, I think maybe, I think really it is maybe because I live outside of the U.S. and my perspective is now like, oh, well, maybe I should be buying a Swiss index or a German index. Like there are other indexes out there for other markets and essentially buying the index is investing in the future of that country. And that's just, it's just something Buffett doesn't say. Oh, he does. And I just wish he would. Oh, he does. I haven't heard him. Oh, he says it. it. I think he says it really loud and clear that when he says he thinks the U.S. will do well in the long run. Right. Yes. Don't. He basically says don't bet against America, and by that he means don't take your money out of America and stick it into something else because you're betting against the most powerful economy in the world, in the freest economy in the world, And and the combination means that it's as long as it remains free. To operate, right? In other words, as long as we have venture capital, as long as we have stimu- lots of rewards for people who are willing to take the risk to build companies and the freedom to build them, we're relatively unregulated. If we have all of that, we will continue to prosper massively. But um, it's a long-run game. And I think you're making some very good points. It's possible that the country will radically change its politics um, in the near term, I mean, we have now people running for office who want to significantly alter the way the country operates its e- economy to a socialist based economy. That is, the government is going to make the decisions and do it with more fairness and social justice than happens in a capitalistic economy. And in fact, Dalio recently just came out in L.A. and was talking about that capitalism is failing uh, quite a large number of people that that in fact the rich are getting richer and the poor are not keeping up and the gap between the two is continuing to expand in a way that hasn't happened since the 1930s 
and I think we've talked about this before, in the 1930s was a time of incredible social unrest and the rise of statist governments around the world, and ultimately that resulted in World War II. So we mm. already see some of that going on. Um, mm. and I, but I guess, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking that, that what you have to ask yourself is, well, if not the United States, where else? I mean, really, Switzerland? I disagree. I disagree. I think before that, there's uh, the conscious po- the conscious choice, I'm going to invest in the U.S. or not. Mm-hmm. And, and what I don't hear out there is that buying an index is a conscious choice to invest in the U.S. Ah. And that's the part that, that is important to understand. It is. I think people just think about it like it's, it's an agnostic choice, and it's not. Oh, you're right. That, that I like a lot. That's, that's right on. Um, because when we're picking individual companies, it's not the same as saying that, oh, I'm making a bet on the United States. Right. I mean, yeah. there's obviously, obviously I mean, most, overlap, certainly. Yeah. <clears throat> but when you, when you, if you bought Coca-Cola, for example, I think, I, I'm going to get this wrong on some percentage, but basically 60% or so of Coca-Cola's revenue comes in from out of the United States. Yeah, I mean, I think many com- many companies started in the U.S. and are now huge multinationals and, you know. Right. Uh, yes, they might be, like, identified with the U.S., but they're... Uh, and they might pay taxes in the U.S., but that doesn't make them particularly American companies anymore. And on, on that point, you know, the vast majority of companies that we buy are North American companies, the United States and Canadian. Um, but there are occasionally companies in Europe that I want to invest in. Um, mm-hmm. And very rarely, there I see perhaps companies in, in China or Argentina or Turkey that start to look interesting. But inevitably, mm-hmm. what we end up doing is looking at the, what is the country this company is sitting in, right? I mean, there's a fabulous Turkish company that has a huge piece of the GDP in Turkey and is relatively cheap, but it's sitting in Turkey. It's dealing mm-hmm. with Erdogan. It's dealing with the rise of, you know, really major league totalitarian government. Um, I mean, what do, you, do you want to invest in Saudi Arabia? Do you want to invest in Argentina? So when, when you're looking at where is a company doing its business, in effect, you're really looking at a bet on that country. And I think what Buffett is saying is just take, don't, you don't have to strain here. Yeah, China's going to grow faster than America, but it's going to go through a lot of turbulence while it's doing it. Scary stuff. And you don't know who the winners are going to be because the government's picking them in large part. Just stay with America. And you're getting a different view of that over there. That's interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting a different view. I'm trying to call out something that's not being said. Because when I talk to people who are not investors, they don't make that connection. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason they should, Mm because nobody's saying it. It's like, just buy an index, just buy an index, just buy an index. It's saying like, it's the market, the market, the market. Nobody says it's the U.S. market. Right. It's the U.S. market index. Well, this is like American specific. Like these are companies you're buying. And over here are some other companies you're not buying by buying the U.S. market index, by buying the S&P 500 index. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's not agnostic. That's the point. And And I don't have a, 
a well-developed view on if there are other countries that are better to invest in at all. But um, certainly, you know, when you start talking to people who are Swiss, you know, when they say the index, they're not talking about the S&P 500 index. (laughs) We're talking about the Swiss index. Right. When you talk to a German investor and they say the index, they're talking about a German index. So it's uh, it's just an interesting um, reminder that sometimes our paradigms get a little small. Well, I think that's that's right. And just it leads me over to, you know, basically asking the question, well, what if you were going to buy an index, which one would you buy? And you have lots of choices around the world. And one of those is to buy them all. Right? <laughs> sort of bet on the world. You could buy the MSCI, which is the world index. So, Wait, what? There's a world index? Yeah. You can, you can, it's, I don't know how they MSCI? track it because I never buy it, but MSCI, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Let me, let me Google it up here. How can it possibly track every stock market in the world? It would be going, how does it, does it average them? Well, you could look it up. I honestly don't know. Okay. The all world, the all country world index. Oh, excuse me. This is MSCI, which is actually the indexing company. The MSCI World Index is called ACWI, 2,400 constituents, 11 sectors, and is the financial industry's accepted gauge of the global stock market activity. That's all I know about hmm. it. I didn't know that until I read it. I kind of want to look into this. I'll, I'll report back on the next podcast. How about that? Yeah, it's funny. I didn't know they called it the ACWI. I just always called it the MSCI World Index. Let me see what that looks like. Hang on. But yeah, so I guess um, in the context of, of our discussion about Ray Dalio's list of how to um, inevitably live a successful life, and I find it quite interesting that his description of how to inevitably live a successful life is focused on mistakes and how to fix them and avoid them. Um, that is, that's that one about like being U.S. centric is certainly one that I've noticed uh, coming more and more to the forefront of my thought in the last few months. Well, you're a world traveler and you live in Zurich and you have a very, very broad education. You've been educated at Oxford in part. And so I can understand you have a different view than I do, right? I mean, you have a much broader, you have a world view. Yeah. Perhaps. You know, but you know, what's also been very interesting is that I think it's, it's, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it is a worldview, I guess, but in a local way, like the other thing I've really been noticing lately as part of these, um, this attention that I've had on like where country companies are based and what markets they're in is how much I notice the companies that I interact with on a daily basis and start thinking more and more about those companies. And because I live in Switzerland, a lot of them are Swiss companies or European companies. And often ones that I hadn't interacted with very much or at all living in the US. So it's actually like, to me, it's brought home, not the like global nature of life or anything. It's brought home the local nature of life and how our, my investing practice is extremely focused on, on, on what I'm seeing and interacting with and using and, um, and recommending people are recommending to me. It's, 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 um, it's, it's like a daily practice 
that has to be local if it's that focused. And I, I think that's absolutely right. And ultimately, to me, local takes me right out of the index. I mean, I, I have a <laughs> lot of trouble just being okay with the broad index. Um, what I want to do is I want to I trust my ability to find a great company. And, um, and part of that structure where I can feel confident, or part of the reason I can feel confident, I think, Danielle, is that I'm working within a very, very defined structure that is built to handle the mistakes. It's, it's structured to, f- to ferret out the errors. After 85 years of my sort of investing family doing this kind of investing that you're learning, part of it is to ferret out the mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's the first thing Charlie says is, what do we learn from 85 years of doing this? Well, number one, sure, be sure you understand the business. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. And part of that is, is the Buffett circle of competence. Yeah, exactly. And Charlie over and over again saying, look, it's what, what makes us different than everybody else is we haven't gotten to the edge of our circle. We, we stay inside it and we don't get near the edge. And to that point, his, his, there's two requirements in a company that are fundamental to a good investment. Number one is to invert your argument for why you should buy this thing and make sure you understand the short position, make sure you understand why people are selling it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Be very clear about that. And mm-hmm. then the second is, even when you are clear about that, make sure you have a huge margin of safety because you are going to be wrong some of the time. Mm-hmm. And those two, I mean, what's so brilliant about what Buffett and Munger and Graham devised is something that I think handles very, very well these five things that Dolly was saying to do. Right. The first one and the fifth one, you know, set goals. All right, good. I want to be a millionaire in in five years and persevere. Okay, good. It's a promise. I'm going to do it. End of story. I'm going to keep cranking. Now, the next three, notice your mistake, understand why you're making them and fix them are baked into the process by 85 years of these guys doing this stuff. So fix this mistake. Be sure you understand the business and then invert it over and over again. And what Ray says, I think, is so cool is that the, and I'm quoting him now, the biggest tragedy of most people is they think that the right decision are in their heads, Mm. that they have opinions that they're attached to. And I've learned from experience, I learned humility, Dalio says, right? Mm. So we're going to be dealing with this confirmation bias that Danny Kahneman talked about in Thinking Fast and Slow, that says, oh, I know what I'm doing now. And now that I've decided I really like this company, everything I look at is going to confirm why I should like it. And we, and, and so humility is, or being humble is to push against that and invert this thing so hard. When, when new pieces of information come, make an effort to not get not to see it as a confirmation of your bias, but to look, to invert it and to try to look to see if this, the wheels are coming off this wagon in some way Mm -hmm. you didn't understand. And what Dalio does is he says, the best thing you can do is to solicit opinions from smart people who are around you. Right. Totally. Just because they don't agree with you doesn't mean they're right. But is it's part of that inversion process to kind of talk of this talk this over like you talk stuff over with me i talk stuff over with you i yeah. think 
to challenge your own thinking. Challenge your own thinking. And you don't have to agree with the other, with whatever they're saying, but understand why they are thinking the way they are. If you respect them and if they're smart. Yep. Somebody, I just lost my thought. Somebody was just saying something about. Dalio just says, look, and this is pretty (laughs) radical to me, given, (laughs) given that Buffett is like, Hey, you do it yourself. But Dalio is basically saying, hey, no one person has the capacity to make great decisions as great as collective decision making. A whole group of people who are thinking about a thing the same kind of way, which is what his company does. (laughs) That's funny because that's so opposite the typical value investor. Oh, yeah. They're out to find the thing that nobody else noticed. Right. Well, yeah, but they're typically working by themselves. And they're working by themselves. And you'll notice what what we've done in our view of this whole thing is we've said, let's be let's be event driven in the sense that we're looking for a problem that's come up in the industry or in that company or in the economy that has created a relatively long term, but not terminal issue. Mm -hmm. So something that might take a year to three years to fix is a kind of a perfect problem to have the world sell this thing off and be right, they should get out of it because of how they're judged on a quarter-to-quarter basis. Mm -hmm. And yet it's right for us to buy it long-term. That simplifies a great deal of the issues that we have to to mess with. Um, So, I I mean, there's so so much there. But I I would strongly encourage everybody, let's let's wrap this up, but I just encourage everybody to to study Ray Dalio. I mean, reading is part of being a great investor. Read him. And you don't have to agree with everything he says, but read him and be humble out there, people. When you start going down this road of picking 10 companies or 20 companies in your lifetime, be very humble and remember that we make money not when we buy something, not when we sell it, but while we're waiting. Mm-hmm. Being humble and inverting what we're looking at. Don't lose money. Don't lose money. <laughs> Time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes, and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because... I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.